we can all get to know each other a bit better. I, um, I, I only just met Alan actually probably two years ago um, at the White Horse breakfasts. And over the last year and a bit, I've had the pleasure of working with him on the board. And I have to say, you know how like we're a little bit chaos and all over the place? Alan is an amazingly organized, fantastic leader. Like I'm learning so many things from all of our meetings as I sit in the board. Well, Alan, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself because I, you've been at New Hope for a really long time, right? Uh, yes, Chris, so I am Canadian. Uh, the, the accent betrays my heritage. Uh, and Janet and I moved to Australia in 1995 with our three daughters. Um, I became the pastor of New Hope. Uh, that was the reason that we came. So we've been here, uh, it, it, we're in our 26th year serving the church. 26 years. You know, he has, um, how many pastors has New Hope had? Because you were telling me, like, it's been around for a very long time. Church has been, so this is our 70th anniversary year. 70. In November we'll celebrate 70 years. And uh, New Hope is a church that has grown up with the community, Chris. Mm -hmm. So um, before there were a lot of houses, uh, the church building was uh, established. And it was a preschool. The church could not get resources to build a church post-World War II. There were still restrictions in Australia. But you could build a school. So the Christian community that was forming and the witness that was emerging, they saw an opportunity. And they said, well, why don't we build a school? Why don't we host an education facility to the neighborhood and then we'll just use it on the weekends to worship, to praise God together, and to advance God's mission in the community. Wow. You know, um, the more I hear about New Hope, so one of the reasons why we've got Alan here um, is because he, he, he and New Hope have such an amazing testimony for the kingdom of God. They are one of the anchor pillar churches in our neighborhood. Um, and they have very much the same kind of ethos that, that we have. You know, I think, so how many pastors do you think a church of 70 years would have? Maybe 70? How many pastors have you had at New Hope? Um. So I am the third uh, senior pastor of the church. So there have been long pastorates, long sort of key leadership roles. And that's led to considerable stability. Um, sometimes I think maybe it's just because I have no ambition, you know, and just, just <laughs> kind of just get stuck. Oh, no, that is faithfulness. <laughs> so if you haven't been serving for more than like 26, 30 years, you can't take a break yet. Like that's, that's how church ministry terms go. Uh, it's so fantastic. Um, Alan, could you tell us a little bit about Whitehorse Church's care? I know it has, you've been meeting as pastors before that, and I, I know all the great things that God is doing uh, with the churches right now is in, in many ways uh, reaping of something that you have sown for maybe 20 years? Um, Chris, it's been many people sewing together. It's been a, a, a corporate and community and God-inspired uh, journey. And I'll share a little bit in the sermon this morning about some of that history. Um, I have been in ministry for uh, a while, so I preached my first sermon at age 13, and uh, I was leading a church at age 25. So I've had a sort of a wide sweep. Um, and I have never seen in my ministry anything that parallels what's happening right now 
in terms of the widespread cooperation among church leaders, Chris. This is, a, this is a unique time in our history, and the Spirit of God is doing something quite exciting, and it's wonderful to be in the midst and watch God at work. Absolutely, absolutely. Let me pray for Alan. Would you join me uh, in praying for him? Because uh, God is actually doing something really amazing uh, in, in our very own neighborhood with the many denominations of Christianity getting together and many of the churches getting together for the good uh, of the kingdom. Father, I, I thank you for Alan. I thank you, Lord, for the work that you are doing in our very midst. And I pray that as he speaks, Lord, that you would lead and guide him. Help us, Lord, to gain better insight uh, into your word today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Over to you. Thank you, Chris. Well, it's a wonderful privilege to be with you this morning. Janet and I are thrilled to be here. Now, Chris has asked me to speak on the theme of hospitality. So if you would take your Bible and turn to Hebrews chapter 13, I'd like to read just three verses from that chapter. Um, the author of Hebrews says, keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. There's some great wisdom. Then he says, do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by so doing, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. Continue to remember those in prison as if you were together with them in prison, and those who are, ministered, uh, who, who are mistreated as if you yourself were suffering. These are wonderful Practical, pointed words for the people of God. It's a pattern that we're called to, of deep love for one another, and a hospitality that uh, connects us and reaches out to the stranger, and a commitment to be with people in their suffering and in their, their imprisonment and in their bondage and in their lostness, knowing uh, uh, that, that, that God is with us and standing side by side with them in empathy. So, as I say, Chris has asked me to speak this morning on the wonderful theme of hospitality, and it struck me as I was preparing, and particularly as I was arriving today, that I'm the stranger here today. I dare to take the microphone and preach a message to you, and I'm scared to death. Because for many years, I stand in front of a congregation that I know and love, and they love me, and I know what to say, and I know who'll get upset if I say this or that, and I know where to stand and where to be careful and how to experience something that's safe because I'm at home there. And so here I am, and I arrive, and I don't actually know where to park the car, and I, 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 don't, I don't know where the entrance to the sanctuary is, and I arrive, and Chris hasn't even introduced me to his wife. What's your name? May. May, it's lovely to meet you, and wonderful to be in your church this morning. And the privilege to be with Chris and May, and with Roland and Evelyn, and to celebrate this church's amazing history. And so I start to feel at home because I know Chris and I love working with Chris. And he contributes so much to the community of leaders in the church, in the city that are gathering. And he's such a man of God. And he calls us repeatedly to the things that matter. And he stirs us up. Does it surprise you if I tell you that your pastor is a stirrer among the, <laughs> among the pastors of Whitehorse? He stirs us up, and it's good. I arrive, and I sit in the church, and I don't know all the songs. I know bits of some of them. I don't know most of your faces, and I can feel like a stranger. But do you know what I want to experience, what hospitality is? We're going to talk about hospitality, just a simple definition of hospitality. Hospitality is when someone feels at home 
in your presence. That's what hospitality is. So when someone feels at home in the church that is your home, in, 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 in your physical neighborhood home, it's when someone feels at home when they come to you with a challenge or a hurt in your presence. And the author of Hebrews is saying to us, this is what we need to practice. We need to be a people whose, whose life posture and our community is such that others feel at home in our presence. I wanna talk this morning about where this sort of hospitality comes from. How does it, how does it grow up? And, and why is it important? Very simply, to answer those two questions, the hospitality that we're talking about, the hospitality that God calls us to, it grows from the grace of the gospel. It grows from knowing that we are loved by God. And what's its purpose? It fuels the advance of God's mission. If you don't exercise the hospitality to which God calls us, if I don't exercise it in my heart, in my relationships, in my influence, if it isn't real in the church that I lead, we're on a push bike doing mission the slow, hard way. But the mission of God fueled by hospitality, we're in a jet plane and we are making progress and God does things. It's like being in a sailboat with the wind in the sails. And I wanna tell you that good things are happening in the city of Whitehorse, but better things are yet to come. Let's talk a little bit about the the source, the substance, the theological foundations of this idea of hospitality. It grows from the grace of the gospel. How do I posture as a person, behave as a person, uh, for whom others feel at home in my presence? Well, here's the key. If I know that I am at home in the presence of God, the creator of the universe. If I know that I am loved and embraced and forgiven and held in his care, that can change who I am, how I live, how I posture, how we behave together, and it's actually the the foundation of our experience of hospitality and then what we share with others. If you experience it first, then you can share it with others. And the author of Hebrews has already talked about this. I wanna just take us backward in the book of Hebrews to see the power of this. That when you know that coming to faith in Jesus Christ and walking in the journey with God gives you deep acceptance, gives you a place where you stand in the holy of holies and you are at home in the presence of the living God, this motivates and inspires a way of living. So if I turn back just one chapter from what I read to you this morning and go to chapter 12, the author of Hebrews describes two experiences, two mountains, one called Mount Sinai, Old Testament law, one called Mount Zion, a reference to Jerusalem, where the church of Jesus Christ was born. And he compares these two, uh, these two mountains. Now listen to what he says. You have not come to a mountain that can be touched and that is burning with fire to darkness, gloom, and storm, to a trumpet blast, or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further word be spoken to them because they could not bear 
what was commanded. If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned to death. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. But, here's the second part, listen now. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn whose name was written in heaven. You have come to God the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. This is a picture of hospitality. You haven't come to a mountain experience that is thundering and dark and stormy and booming with commands such that you stand in the midst of it and quake, as Moses did with fear. You have come to the welcome arms of God. You have come to Jesus who is the mediator with God, the one who brings forgiveness to your very soul, the one who through his blood makes you a, a welcome in God's family. Now those two universes are profoundly different. So here's the question. When the stranger comes to visit FGA, which mountain did they come to? When a stranger comes to your house, what, what experience do they have? When the churches of the city express our love for God and our witness to Jesus and try to express the will of God and speak of the, the desires of God, do we sound like Mount Sinai and thunder and cause people to retreat in fear? Or do we sound like Mount Zion with its welcome and with its wonder and with its grace? Hospitality grows from the grace of the gospel. And here in the book of Hebrews, the author is not saying that those Old Testament narratives are useless. He's saying that that law which engenders fear has now been fulfilled in the person of Jesus and brought to a glorious welcome. That, that, that when you experience this grace, it motivates beauty and wonder in your life. Let me tell you just a little bit about New Hope's uh, uh, more recent history, by which I mean the last 20 years. Uh, at, at, at New Hope, um, the, the, the church has always had this community focus. And so about, about uh, 18 years ago, we began to discuss the prospect of doing some build work. Uh, our buildings were not uh, fully adequate to the vision that God had given us, and there were challenges. The church had bought houses over a period of time and then just knit them together, you know? So everything was bedrooms and kitchens and bathrooms, and it was a maze of, of just inadequate resources. And so we began to pray and to think hard about what to do, because Jesus never said, go into the world and build buildings. Jesus never said, put all your money in building stock, and you, know, and you can get terribly lost in that journey of trying to do property development and all the rest. It takes up a lot of time, takes up money, so we prayed and wrestled and thought, and we wondered, you know, is God leading us to relocate to another place? Uh, because that's often what God calls churches to do. Um, you folks have been in more than one venue as you have grown and flourished and seen God's blessing. But we're on the corner of Middleborough and Springfield Road, which is a pretty good location. You know, I'd like to buy that shell station. One day, one day, one day, one day. We walk around it with trumpets, you know, seven times. And so that was sort of an impediment, seeing that and thinking, oh, it's a roadblock and it's not a good place to be and we need a better place. And, and 
God, God helped us to see that we were in the right place. And then the question was, build what? Do what? And this is where we had a wonderful moment of insight. Now, you know, all these years later, you will say, duh, like it's obvious. It, 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 it. But what we decided that we needed to do, what we felt God calling us to do, was not to build a traditional church that would be for the Baptists, and then if any community group wanted to use it, they could. We would build a gift to the community. We would build a community center and try to think first about the needs of all the groups in the community and all the opportunities in the community, and then the Baptists, the Christians, the followers of Jesus would fit in and make it work, like a lot of church plants do. They go find the community center and then fit their ministry into that place. We just took that model and said, well, let's do that. Let's rebuild the community center because there was no adequate facility in those days in our neighborhood. So this seemed like a good idea. People got on board. There was excitement as resources were made available. When God's people get excited about something and the resources come forward, we, 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 we have this sense, you know, this beautiful sense of God leading us. And we did the first stage of build. And the build opened and we were committed to our vision. We're gonna welcome the community. We want people in our neighborhood to feel at home in our presence. And we want them to come and experience the goodness of the gospel. We want them to feel like they have come to Mount Zion, a welcome and an embrace. But we had some challenges and some problems in those early days. We still have challenges and problems. But let me take you back to those early days when we were learning and the struggles and the difficulties. Because as soon as you decide to be hospitable, as soon as you decide to open your home, open your church, open your life, welcome the stranger, you're gonna run into all kinds of challenges and troubles and struggles and you'll think, God, Help me, have you led me here? So within weeks of opening the new community center, a Hindu family came along and asked if they could rent some space to do a party, a children's party. And we thought, that's great, absolutely you can. And then we discovered that they were going to do a sacrifice to a Hindu god in one of the, the rooms. And it's like, oh my goodness. What do you do with that? Because if we approach them and say, hey, stop. We're gonna sound like Mount Sion. It's gonna sound like rules and religion, and they'll probably react. And then where do you go? What do we do, Lord? Why did we build this building? Why did we choose hospitality? We should have just stuck to ourselves. It would have been easier. But here we are. When the events manager uh, is responsible for setting this stuff up came and talked to me, you know, we realized we had a challenge that we were gonna see happen again and again and again and again. This wasn't something that we were just gonna deal with once. So we prayed and we asked God, help us to know what to do. And God gave us insight. It's simple once you see it. We went to the Hindu family and we said, look, we've heard you're gonna do a sacrifice to one of your gods. And we just wanted to let you know that we have dedicated our building to our God. We just wanted to make that clear. And you know, just check in with you if you thought you know, there'd be any chance of you know, that offending our God, whom we love and whom we serve, uh, you know, by what you're gonna do. And do you know what they said? They said, oh, we never thought about that. We didn't realize that you dedicated your place to God. That is wonderful. We'll do our sacrifice at home. We just have the party at the church, connect with friends and family. And thank you so much for telling us that you gave your building to God. Now, I love that story and I love that moment because the hospitality and the welcome continued by going straight into the issue. 
by telling them that this was a place given over to God. And of course, a, 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 a Hindu construct of faith sees things quite differently and, and, and could honor that in a different way. And it made for a beautiful moment. When you practice hospitality, it will be challenging. You will bump into stuff. When you welcome the stranger into your home, it will be challenging. And so you need a spiritual foundation and you need spiritual leadership and guidance from God. You need help from God to do this and God will give it to you. When you practice hospitality as a church and say, let's mix it up. Let's invite people who aren't like us. Let's have the stranger in our midst. It's not gonna get easier. But the power of God will be more present with you than ever before. We went along a few more months. We had another bump in the road. We had a, a provider group in, uh, who was doing some work for the Victorian government in, in the education space. And this provider group was doing uh, uh, development for teachers. And they would rented out a, a significant part of our building through the week. And we were quite excited about that. You know, speaking into the lives of teachers. This is great. We are doing kingdom work. And then the events manager picked up one of the programs that was lying there, a draft version, and brought it to me. And in among all the educational stuff they were going to do, they were going to do some spirituality training. And they had a, a workshop on crystals. And I thought, oh my goodness. I, like, it's a community center, but the hosts are the people of God. How do we, how do we reckon with this? How do we, you know, hospitality is just so challenging. Turns out that following Jesus is challenging. I suddenly remember he talked about taking up a cross and following him. This is going to be cost, but he will always, always be with us. He will show us the way. He will help us. So go to the hard place. Step into the challenge. Walk into the furnace. Jesus even meets people there. Old Testament story, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. If you don't know the story, ask them uh, when you get to heaven, and, 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 and they'll tell you about the faithfulness and presence of God in the furnace. So my events manager and I, we prayed and we wrestled and we thought, how are we going to get out of this mess? Because this is going to be great PR for the Baptist church. Crystals. Uh, like, uh, and, and, and all of these things, they confound us, don't they? How to be a Christian in this changing, confronting world. We prayed again and we asked God for wisdom, how to deal with this. And God gave us insight. God gave us a, a, a simple way to respond. Uh, we, we went to the organizers of this event with the program. We said, hey, we see you're doing some spirituality stuff. You got, you got a thing there on crystals. You do realize that we're experts in this field. We're, we're, we're the spirituality experts. And the organizer said, oh, I'd never thought about that. And then she said, would you like to have a spot on the program? We said, well, that'd be just fine. So suddenly we're on the program and we are offering a segment in the spirituality uh, section of this workshop. And then wouldn't you know it, the day before the conference, the person who was slated to do the crystal thing got sick and couldn't do their episode. So we got that cohort in our class as well. We don't always know how God is going to lead us. We don't always know how it's going to actually you know, work. It's a high-risk thing, this business of hospitality, but God thought it was so worthwhile. He sent his son to come to our world to make it possible for us to be at home in his presence. 
I hope you have come to that awakening in your own faith journey. I hope you have come to that experience of grace because that's what motivates hospitality. When you know that the death of Jesus Christ for the sins of the world is a gift to you as an individual, such that if I were to turn back a couple more chapters in the book of Hebrews, we could read about what it is to experience the love of Jesus, to know that we are sprinkled by his blood, to know that we can draw near to the living God with confidence, that we can enter the holy of holies with our head up, not frightened. And even though we don't know where to park the car or we don't know, you know all the ins and outs and we may sometimes feel like strangers, we are welcome. We are welcome and embraced by the love of God. That's what motivates hospitality. And so I would pray that for each individual in this room, those of you who are watching online, each person who hears this message, whenever that may be, that you would anchor this, this reality of knowing that you are in God's family. It's so simple as praying and confessing our sins and welcoming Jesus into our lives and letting God gather us up in his purposes. So that's where hospitality comes from in the Christian journey and as, as, as the people of God. Uh, the kind of hospitality that Jesus invites us to grows out of the grace of the gospel. And it's real and it's empowered. So what do we do with it? Why is it important? Well, it, it fuels the mission of God. Hospitality and all of its consequences and the way that it brings us into community and communion, it, it makes the mission of God advance with power. Let me just name three things. So uh, hospitality, it, it, it unites us, it guides us, and it heals us. And these, these very practical outcomes of practicing hospitality drive the mission of God in beautiful, beautiful ways. It unites us. Just after the author of Hebrews talks about uh, being sprinkled with the blood of Jesus, redeemed, forgiven, drawn into God's family, coming confidently before him, the next thing it says is, and, and don't forsake meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but instead, gather and stir one another up to love and good works. I've read that verse all my life since I was very early in church leadership and always felt that was great wisdom and applied it rigorously and intentionally and passionately to the church or the group that I led. It was some years along the journey when it occurred to me that I had not been obeying that verse in relation to other leaders of other churches. I had been forsaking the assembling of ministers, forsaking the assembling of other church leaders. And they were cool with that, and I was cool with that, and we just carried on. But I don't think God was happy with that at all. I sat with a friend of mine in ministry, um, one day, we, we had kind of come to this realization together. We were, we were sort of calling on others to join us for prayer. And on this particular cold winter morning, uh, there was only the two of us that had showed up. You know, so then we'd do that walk that we all do. You know, slightly self-righteous. Well, we're here, brother. You know, and slightly judgmental, which is totally unhelpful. And, and, then, and then wrestling with, how do we crack this nut? And he said the most interesting thing. He said... For, for there really to be fellowship among the churches, we need to do something together that matters. But before we can do something together that matters, 
As leaders of churches, we need to pray together and discern God's ways and walk in God's ways. But before we will ever pray together, he said, and this is the penny that dropped for me, we need to eat together. (laughs) And I thought, he's spot on. Because when you share food with people, something shifts, something moves. When you practice hospitality, something moves. When you get together with others and it's, you know, it's, it, it, it begins to, I feel comfortable in Chris's presence. I feel at home in Chris's presence. And that's why things can happen. So for about 15, 12 or 15 years, uh, various groups in the city, we've just been having breakfast together. We have breakfast together and then spend a bit of time at the end praying for each other and encouraging each other and caring for each other. It's been a long run of doing that, you know, in, in, in ways that the numbers would go up, the numbers would go down, but it was good. Then the Royal Commission came. And the pastors around the table in all their different settings with the pain and the struggle that was going on, particularly the Catholic priests who came and joined us for breakfast, wow. And suddenly we started to love one another. Our prayers went to the next level because we were concerned for each other. And when that happened, God began to open up something new. Gave us the opportunity to think together about doing a winter shelter. Now you may have heard about this in your announcements here, but churches of Whitehorse have a plan to take those who do it rough, to sleep rough in the winter, and just invite them into our churches. Different church, seven nights, and the three months, the three coldest months of the year. So we'll give hospitality, and we will host. Those who are doing it really tough, you know, with, with no shelter through the, through the winter. And we as Christians, we will be hospitable to them. Now, the goal is that they would feel at home in our presence. And so, as, as ministers, we suddenly are, you know, working on this together and think, hey, this is good. So, we planned for 2019, and there was a whole bunch of issues, political issues. That's a story for another day. The city said, no, 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 your buildings aren't ready yet. And so, then 2020, we gear up. And, and, you know, a pandemic comes and says, no, 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 not, 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 not yet. So now we're gearing up for 2021. But here's what's happened in the meantime. That cohort of ministers have become bound together in the love of Jesus. We are being united in a way that I have never seen before in my ministry. And, and we are not forsaking meeting together. And when we meet together, we stir one another up to love and good works. Like I said, Chris, he's a stirrer. He's a stirrer. And he's obedient to the, to the gospel as he does so, stirring us up, each other up, to love and good works. It sustained some beautiful stuff through COVID. We met online every fortnight. This is the ministers of your city. This is the leaders of churches in your city, pastors and priests and, and, and from all the denominations. It's quite exciting doing what we are invited to do in the scriptures, to practice hospitality and to connect with one another in this beautiful, beautiful way. Peter says in the first letter that he wrote, chapter four, he says, practice hospitality without complaining. Without complaining. Without complaining. Because hospitality is not easy. So here we are, a group of ministers, all these different points of view. I mean, we've been arguing since the Reformation, you know, all these different. But in the midst of the challenges and the needs, God brings us together into a beautiful unity. It needs to be the same for your small group. It needs to be the same in the family, in the church. 
where we form, because of the grace of Jesus, because of our willingness to listen to the gospel and the invitation of the scriptures, we form communities that are a contrast to the world around us, where people can come, and when they are in your presence, they feel at home. And that's when they'll begin to have eyes to see the Jesus whom you love, and a heart opening up to reach for him and to welcome him. What is, what is this hospitality achieve? It, it achieves a unity that binds us together, that makes things possible. And something is happening in your city that you need to pray for. So Chris is the treasurer of Whitehorse Church's care. He's got his hand on the, on the, on the money throttle. Uh, and, 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 and so you need to pray for Chris. But you are all part of this. We do this together. It's not about the ministers. It's about the churches. It's about the people of God uniting together. Because when we are together, there is a strength in what we are able to do. Won't it be exciting to see people all across the city who have been sleeping rough in our churches being cared for by people who love God. Chris and I and our colleagues are trying to recruit over 200 volunteers. If you have not yet put your hand up and said, count me in, now's the time. Because this is how you can practice hospitality in such a practical, practical way. Rostered shifts, you don't have to stay the whole time. Opportunity to kind of connect in and be involved. So hospitality unites us, and it's powerful, powerful. Hospitality can guide us. It can actually give us insight and wisdom that we weren't expecting. The, the thing there in Hebrews, the verse in Hebrews that I read has this amazing promise. It says, entertain hospitality, practice hospitality to the stranger because some have entertained angels unawares. Didn't even know they were doing it. Now that's kind of exciting. I'd love to think that someday I could host a, you know, a, 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 a shining light from heaven disguised as a homeless person. You know, I, I, that's really exciting. Let me push into that verse just a little more to something very, very practical. Angels are messengers. That word angel that's used there in the Greek could simply be translated a a, a true messenger from God. And so by welcoming a stranger, you might actually find yourself receiving direction, insight, wisdom, help from God. We often push the stranger away because we think we've got everything we need here and this is safe and this is comfortable and God says, let the stranger in. A stranger may be a true messenger from God. Quick story. At New Hope, I uh, participate in a board of an organization that has an American base and has some involvement here in Australia, and I'm in the, on the Australian board of that organization. The, the mothership in the U.S. got into terrible difficulty, and the uh, leader, you know, very public stuff happening. And so the Sunday after all of that broke, an individual, a protester, came to New Hope and stood on the front lawn of our church right in front of the entrance holding up placards challenging this organization and challenging me for being on the board. Well, my goodness, that seemed pretty unfair. I didn't do anything. I, you know, I'm I'm just here trying to, and, and, and he knew more than I did about the struggles and the challenges and the disaster that was breaking. So my first thought was I'm gonna go run and hide and appoint someone else as the senior pastor to go deal with this. It's always challenging to go towards the trouble. But you know, that's what leaders do. That's what leaders do. Leaders go toward the trouble. So I knew in my heart the first I had to make make my way immediately 
to go have a chat with this protester on the front lawn. That's what I did. And we had an interchange, you know, and, you know, trying to get him. I said, why don't you, why don't, why don't you just not do this today and, and I'll have a coffee with you on Monday. He said, I'll take the coffee, but I'm still going to do this. And so there he was, you know, through the whole. Now, here's the point. I would not call him an angel of light. But he was a true messenger from God in some unexpected ways. Because as he, as he challenged some of the thinking, and as I had coffee with him, had another meeting and another meeting and another meeting, and over time have actually sought to, you know, listen to him, he has helped me see some things about leadership. He's helped me to, to, to clarify some things about how I could be a good board member in this whole situation. He's really helped me. And, and as odd as it seems to say it, don't tell him this, please. <laughs> no, I'd tell him myself. He's like a true messenger from God on some of the key things he's saying. Strangers can surprise you. Strangers can, can come to you with God's truth for you. And that, I think, is what many of us are discovering as pastors and priests and ministers as we meet together. We were strangers before, and now we're true messengers from God to each other. We are learning from each other and, and, and gaining wisdom together and growing in that, and it is a beautiful, beautiful thing. So the last thing I want to say about uh, hospitality, like what, 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 what can it do? Well, it can unite us, and it can actually guide us in unexpected ways, and it can heal us. Our healing comes through hospitality. I just want to finish with uh, some words from uh, the prophet Isaiah. And so if you can turn to Isaiah 58, and there's some beautiful words here that call the church to the practice of hospitality and promise healing. The chapter starts with a bit of a critique of the church's religious practices, particularly the fasting. So this is a church that's going hard. They're seeking God. They're really pushing in hard. But, but they're a bit sick because according to Isaiah, their fasts end with fistfights. So after they had a bit of fasting and there's a bit of disagreement, there's a punch-up. <laughs> and if you think I'm making this up, Isaiah chapter 58, verse 4. Have a read. There's a punch-up. And so Isaiah the prophet speaking for God says, this is not the way we do this. There can't be disagreements. There can't be this kind of stuff. And I read it the first time, and I thought, that would never happen. And then I thought about all the churches over most of my ministry. It's like a punch-up. We're all fasting together, and then we have a punch-up. And the wider community looks on and says, what is wrong with you people? The Spirit of God is changing something right now, right in our time. It is very exciting. And so the prophet says, that's not the way to fast. You don't fast as an outward religious thing. You don't sing as just a form. You don't come to church as just a, just a pattern and hopefully this will please God. Something deeper, more profound has to happen. There has to be grace that takes hold of your soul. And, and, and out of that grace grows this spirit of, of, of welcome and compassion and justice and mercy and doing the ministry and mission of God. And so listen to these words. In verse 6, is not this the kind of fast I have chosen to loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free, to break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? There's the winter shelter. 
There's the work that we're seeking to do together as churches, providing food as we've been doing through the COVID season to folks in need. When you see the naked to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood. This is the call to hospitality. Now listen to the promise. Then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and he will say, here am I. This beautiful picture that as we practice hospitality, what is hospitality? It's when others feel, feel at home in our presence. How do we practice that? Well, th th this hospitality grows from the grace of the gospel. When we know that we are at home in God's presence, we want others to be with us in that place. And this hospitality drives unity. This hospitality can give us unexpected and unusual guidance sometimes even angels, messengers of God. And this hospitality will actually heal the church. It will heal families. It will heal us in unexpected ways. Makes sense, really. If the stranger is sometimes the messenger of God, if the stranger comes into our midst and we are bound together in a unity, brothers and sisters in Christ, if this enables us then to see the purposes and mission of God and reach out and care for others, God smiles. And isn't it a good day when the churches stop having a punch up and start hosting the homeless? That's what we're called to. And what I can share with you today that is so encouraging is it is occurring. It is occurring in our city. It is occurring in our churches. And when God does a work among the churches, all the churches rise. I believe that we will see every church in this city benefit from this journey together. We don't have to worry about, you know, will our attendance be affected by a new church coming to town? There's a new church popping up in this immediate area every few months, isn't there, Chris? And we welcome them and we bless them and we celebrate them because there are so many lost people and the spirit of hospitality is extended to other churches as well as to the stranger as we do this work together. So, in the words of the writer of Hebrews, practice hospitality. Practice hospitality. Practice it because you feel at home in God's presence. And oh, how we want everyone in our street, everyone in our family, everyone in our workplace, everyone in the sport club, to know that safety, that welcome, that peace, that forgiveness, that gospel. Practice this hospitality and it'll bind you up with other believers in such a beautiful way. It will, it will reveal God's purposes to you in ways you didn't even think possible. It's a miracle sometimes how God uses the stranger. And it will bring healing, promise of God's word. It will heal the wounds of the church. It will heal the brokenness between all kinds of different factions, and the glory of God will come. This is our prayer for Whitehorse. This is our prayer for the city of Melbourne. This is our prayer for one another. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. God is good. May I pray with you? Loving Lord, we thank you for this wonderful vision of hospitality in such simple words. Peter says it, Paul says it, and the author of Hebrews says it, that we are to practice hospitality. 
Lord, we know the wisdom of it. Give us the capacity as we take hold of the grace which we have in Jesus Christ. And Lord, do a, do a great work in our city, we pray. We thank you for every church, for every priest, pastor, minister. We thank you, God, for all the persons who uh, lead those churches and governance bodies and the many people who serve in ministries and work for your kingdom. Bind us together, Lord, we pray. Knit us together in a new spirit that serves the advance of your mission in this city. Oh, Lord God, we pray for revival in the city of Whitehorse. We pray for revival in Melbourne. We pray for an awakening across this nation. Lord, do that which would bring honor and glory and praise to your name. And Lord, even as we pray this prayer, we humble ourselves before you. We confess the failings of our journey to this point, and we welcome the power and the blessing and the guidance and the love and the help of your hand upon us as we go forward. Lord, I, I pray your blessing upon FGA today. Bless this church. Pour out your spirit in this place. Lord, grow this church. Strengthen her influence. May she be a place where Jesus is lifted up and honored. Bless the pastors of this church. Bless the, the leaders who sit together to think about the future. Bless every servant and every person served in this community of faith, I pray. In the name of Jesus, our Savior, amen. Amen.